Leonard Lopate. In his latest book, Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist, Franzival argues that although humans and other primates share some behavioral differences, biology offers no justification for existing gender inequalities. He draws on decades of observation and studies of both human and animal behavior to show that despite the linkage between gender and biological sex, biology does not automatically support the traditional gender roles in human societies. His book is published by W.W. W. Norton, and it brings Franzewal, the C.H. Candler Professor Emeritus of Primate Behavior at Emory University, to our show now. Welcome. Your book, Chimpanzee Politics, which looked at the social world of chimpanzees, was published 40 years ago. Have your mm-hmm. ideas about the similarities between chimpanzees and human behaviors changed much over that time? Uh, oh yeah, I think so. I think since that time, uh, you know, that time was more about politics and coalitions and Machiavellianism. And later, I became more interested in empathy and cooperation and uh, all sorts of other behavior. And, and I saw more similarities. I think. And you've also studied other primates in the years since, most notably bonobos. Uh, didn't they split from the chimpanzee lineage about two million years ago? How close are chimps and bonobos? Is it bonobos? It's bonobos, right? How close well, are chimps yeah. and bonobos to humans genetically? Well, they're exactly equally close to us. And, and so people always know the chimpanzee and that comparison that's very well known. Uh, people often forget the bonobo and, and there are many anthropologists who don't like the bonobo because the bonobo is very peaceful and very sexual and is female dominated. And the anthropologists don't know what to do with them because they have built a whole evolutionary scenario of our species on on violence and territoriality and warfare and stuff like that. And so they don't know what to do with the bonobo, but the bonobo is awfully interesting, I think, especially if you talk about gender, as I do in my my latest book. I think it's very interesting that we have a close relative that is female-dominated. Well, you've written that, I'm quoting, there's every reason to see what we can learn about ourselves from comparisons with other primates. So how significant are the differences between chimpanzees and bonobos for understanding human behavior? I think they're substantial. I think um, the, 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 the story that you always hear is that Men need to be dominant because that's the natural order, so to speak, of society. Uh, as a primatologist, I say, well, you know, we have two close relatives. For one, it's true. For the other one, it's not true. And and so it opens up a discussion about what we mean. And And one of the things I try to do in my book is make a distinction between physical dominance and uh, power, political power or social power, in the sense that... Um, Even in groups like chimpanzees where uh, the males tend to dominate, even in those groups, uh, high-ranking females, the alpha female, can have an enormous amount of power. For example, in my last book, I described Mama, the chimpanzee, who was alpha female for 40 years in, in a large colony. And she was the one who basically decided which male would be the alpha male because a male had no chance of reaching the top spot without the support of her and the other females. And and so uh, that distinction needs to be made. And and when people say in the primates, males are always dominant, uh, you have to take that with a grain of salt because there's a lot of female power around. Well, didn't you help popularize the term alpha male many years ago? Uh, And and, uh, as a result, uh, please people like Newt Gingrich... Yeah, yeah. The book Chimpanzee Politics was recommended by Ginrich to um, to Republicans. Uh, who knows what that has done? But um, the term alpha male became popular after that. And and I think one of the unfortunate things is that for me, an alpha male, a chimpanzee alpha male, uh, is very often a responsible leader. They're, they're not always bullies. The, the bullies do occur. And, and terrorize everybody. Yes, they do occur. But most alpha males that I've known uh, were responsible leaders who kept the peace and uh, defended the underdog. They would defend juveniles against adults and females against males. And as a result, everyone felt safer around an alpha male like that. And so that's for me an alpha male is, is, it, is actually a unifier. But um of course, now in the if you look at the, the business book section and you look for alpha male, you're going to find 
the way they describe alpha male is more like a bully, like someone who terrorizes everybody and, and lets everyone know who is boss. That's not my view of it. So, so I think alpha males got a bad rap, uh, partly because people simplified what it meant in primatology. Uh, and and uh, I think it's unfortunate. And, and, and people also often forget that we also have alpha females. In all primate groups, we have uh, usually an alpha male and an alpha female. You note the caretaking capacity of male primates that after a mother has died, adult male chimpanzees in the wild have been known to adopt a child and care for it, sometimes for years. So uh, that goes against the uh, conventional wisdom, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that in, in all the primates, well, not maybe not all, but almost all, the females do a lot more offspring care than the males. And, and for example, in chimpanzees and bonobos, the females are the ones who, who hold and carry and protect and feed the young. And the males do actually quite little in that regard. But the interesting thing is, and, I, and that's why I call it a potential, is that the males do have the capacity for that. And that if um, a mother dies, and all of a sudden we have an orphan in the group uh, who's calling for attention, it's often the males, the adult males who pick up the orphan and, and not just for one day or two days. No, no, they, they may carry that kid for, for two years and, and protect it and, and teach it what to eat and not to eat and so on. And so um, male caring tendencies, sometimes people make fun of it. And in our current society, we have some politicians who, who make fun of paternal leave. They, they think paternity leave is not really needed because uh, women take care of the children. And, and so they mock actually the, the tendency of some men to take care of children. Uh, I think we as a species, we have even more of these paternal tendencies because we evolved nuclear families, which we don't see in chimps and bonobos. And so we even have more paternal tendencies, I think, than chimps and bonobos. But it's interesting that they have that potential, that they're certainly capable of it. Should we make a distinction between biological sex and gender? Tell us well, about we do. the distinction you make. Yeah, we do already. We, we, the word gender officially should be used for the, the cultural expression of being masculine or feminine and everything in between. And uh, that, that's the cultural side, so to speak, of the sex differences. And nowadays in English, people have started to confuse these two. People often use the term gender inappropriately, I think. They will say, what is the gender of your dog? Well, mm -hmm. <laughs> the dog, I'm not sure the dog has a cultural expression of its, uh, its sex. But anyway, that people now start to confuse these two terms, but gender is usually more on the cultural side of things and how you express yourself and is therefore very flexible because it, it, it depends on your education and the examples that you receive and so on. And sex is more the biological side. Sex is mostly binary, not 100%, but it's mostly binary, male, female. Uh, and, and relates to the biology, relates to chromosomes, hormones, um, genitals, and so on. But you say a problem in English is that the word sex is used in two ways, having mm -hmm. sex and being of a certain sex. Yeah, yeah. And that confuses everything? That has created confusion. is because the English language doesn't have a specific word like many other languages do for sex versus sex, you know? And so that's why... Well, we have copulation, words... but people that will, are less likely to say yeah. copulate than yeah, to yeah, say yeah, yeah. they had sex. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> so uh, the word gender has started to, to, to fill that gap, and uh, that's a bit unfortunate because it, it confuses the discussion. And you say that we used to simply compare ourselves to chimps to explain much of human behavior. And when recent studies of bonobos came along, some people were upset? Yeah, people were uh, upset because the bonobos, well, part, part is the female dominance. I've, I've given lectures, you know, where in the audience, uh, people, were, an, an older man, an older male professor stood up one time and said, what's wrong with those males? Talking about bonobo males. Like he, he couldn't stand the idea that 
the females were dominant in their society. And so, uh, yeah, people got upset with bonobos also because they are so peaceful. So th th we don't know, for example, of one bonobo killing another bonobo, whereas we have many examples of that in chimpanzees. And um, aggressiveness and violence uh, in the story of human evolution have always been emphasized by the anthropologists. They, they, they love the story of warfare, even though... The evidence for human warfare goes back only 12,000 years. We don't have any evidence from before that time, but the anthropologists love to emphasize it. And that's why the chimpanzee is their favorite uh, comparison and not the bonobo. And I think we need to look at both. Uh, certainly in, in a gender discussion, you cannot just stick to the chimpanzee. But even in the chimpanzee, I think if we look at the females and, and their role in society, it is much more than sort of the slaves of the males as the way people often see these relationships. That's not like it is. I think the females have a lot more influence and power. So genetics is only uh, one of the factors, as you pointed out earlier, chimps and bonobos are very close to humans genetically. Do we have any idea of why uh, chimps are so physically different than bonobos and, and different again from humans, although uh, we often justify dominant males in terms of the dominant chimp male. Yeah, um, we are genetically extremely close to chimps and bonobos, much closer than people used to assume. And that came out of the DNA studies, uh, you know, uh, in the 60s. And, and people were totally shocked how close we are well, to them. Well, it explains some of our politicians, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> the ones who monkey around? Well, you know... Um, in my book, Chimpanzee Politics, of course, uh, that was written long before the current politics. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the comparison always holds up. I think uh, human politics has a lot in common with what the primates do. Uh, and another thing that I, I think should be emphasized is that, and I talk a little bit about that in my book, is that you see the same sort of gender diversity in primate societies than what you see in human societies. So we see individuals who don't exactly fit the mold of male or female, who act a bit differently, or you have individuals who have a different sexual orientation. And so all that kind of variation that we see in human society, we see also reflected in primate societies. So there are more than just two genders. The whole thing, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, is really a, not true? Well, there are, if you look at it biologically, the sexes, the sexes are mostly binary, like maybe 98% male, female. If you look at gender, which is the, the way you express yourself, and usually gender, I divide not in male and female, but in masculine and feminine. If you look, look at gender, yes, there is an enormous variability in human society, but also in primate societies, the way things are expressed. So for example, I describe in my book Donna, a female chimpanzee, who uh, in terms of her anatomy is female, but from a very young age onwards, she acted more like a, a young male and she liked to wrestle with others and she grew into a female who looked like a male, who associated a lot with males. And so in terms of her gender expression, she was more like a male. And I cannot ask her what her identity is. I cannot ask her about her sexual identity. But clearly, um, she shows some of that same variation that you see in human society. My guess is Franz Waal, D-E-W-A-A-L. His latest book is Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist, published by Norton. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. The show is Leonard Lopate at large. Well, to some degree, don't we, haven't we over the years misinterpreted the male and female uh, based on assumptions, human assumptions? For example, the clitoris has become a, a determining factor. Mm -hmm. You have a whole chapter on that. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, I think the clitoris has been underestimated and, and it started with Freud, Sigmund Freud, who told us that the clitoris was unimportant and that women who derived pleasure from the clitoris, they were infantile. So, so Freud was not a big fan of the clitoris. Uh, and um, now we know from recent research 
that the clitoris has as many nerve endings as the penis, and so is just as sensitive, uh, although it's a, a, a different looking structure. Uh, and um, yes, female sexuality has been underestimated systematically, also in biology. Also, we biologists, we had these Victorian assumptions that uh, males are the one who want sex, females just have to accept sex. And that's how we looked at the world. And I, I don't think it fits anymore with what we now know about birds, about primates. It, uh, it has completely changed and female sexuality and female choice and female preferences, all of that has become important now also in biology. But also, didn't we, based on human assumptions, often think that females were males because of a prominent clitoris? <laughs> yeah, that has happened. There, there are species of primates, like the, the spider monkeys in, in South America, where the females have actually a bigger structure uh, a genital structure than the males. And, and so from a distance, you would think you're looking at a male, but you're actually looking at a female. And yeah, people have made these confusions or uh, people have, have confused, for example, hermaphroditic uh, primates with males, even though they are intersex uh, individuals. And uh, yeah, all these, all these things happen. And, and that's why I'm saying the same variability that we notice in human society, sometimes you can notice in primate societies as well. So you said that we see things we associate with human behavior, like a variety of sexual orientation, gender identity, and asexuality in chimpanzees and bonobos. Uh, all of those things, uh, we, don't we usually associate those things with human psychology? Is, is this really more a matter of genetics? Well, some of it is biological, clearly. Some of it could be an expression, a cultural expression of the way you're educated. Or we don't know, for example, for homosexuality, we don't know if it's genetic. Uh, there's, not, there's a little bit of evidence, but it's certainly not a simple uh, relationship between genes and behavior in that regard. Does the and governor so we, of Florida know about that or your governor? I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know what they know about it, but clearly, for example, homosexual behavior is quite common in the primates. For example, bonobos. Um, I, I call them usually bisexual because I don't see much of a preference for one gender or the other when they have sexual interactions and they have it in all combinations and in all positions. And so um, that kind of behavior, some, some people say, will say it's unnatural, but actually uh, it, it is quite common in the animal kingdom. So sex isn't just for procreation, which is what we assumed. Yeah, that that is often the assumption with animals is that Humans have sex for entertainment or pleasure, but animals just for reproduction. Well, that's that's really not the case. I estimate that in bonobos, three quarters of the sex has nothing to do with uh, reproduction because it occurs in combinations that cannot reproduce or with individuals who are already pregnant, for example. So um, I think that is a strange opinion that sexologists have. I, I've been at conferences of sexologists who always talk about humans because they consider animal sex as just breeding. But, you know, uh, sex in animals is also a very interesting uh, topic. And there's, there's a lot of pleasure seeking uh, present as well. So there's sex between opposite sex partners in periods when no babies are going to be conceived and sex done for pleasure and also for, you point out, social purposes? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the animals like dolphins and bonobos, and, and I don't think it's accidental that dolphins have the biggest clitoris in the animal world. Dolphins and bonobos, they have a lot of sex for social purposes, and it's mainly to reduce tensions. So as soon as there's uh, let's say, a potential conflict over food or something, um, they will have sex together. In bonobos, there's a lot of female-female sex because bonobos dominate, the, the females dominate the males collectively. So they, they, they're not individually stronger than males. They do it collectively, which means that female bonding is a very important part of their political structure. And that's where the sex between females comes in. Well, you write in your chapter about rape that males grow up stronger than females and more prone to violence, so human society uh, needs to find ways to civilize its young men. Yeah. Although I would think that the impulse to rape is just 
affects a small proportion of men. Yeah, fortunately, it's it's not it's not all men. That's the good thing about it, but it's still too common, and it's more common in our species than in the primates that I've studied. And and I think part of the problem is the human species is that we live in homes, we we isolate ourselves as families in separate dwellings, which gives males more control than they would have if if the whole group was present. And in, for example, uh, bonobos, they have put a complete stop to male harassment by having female dominance. But even in chimpanzees, uh, rape is not a typical behavior at all. Mm. Uh, there is maybe violence by males against females, but, but rape is not a common behavior. And so that's something that our species has to deal with. And, and yes, fortunately, it's not all the males. It's a minority that shows that kind of behavior. And I argue in my book that the call by some people to, to raise boys and girls in the same way and have a gender neutral education, I, I don't buy into that because I think men are gonna be physically stronger than women. Men are more prone to violence than women. So we need to teach them certain uh, skills such as respect for women and control of their emotions. We, we need to teach them those skills Otherwise, we're in trouble as a society. And is that common on most species? Don't males tend to dominate in all but a few species, with bonobos the rare exceptions? Yeah, in many species, the males are dominant, sometimes very, very dominant, because, for example, in baboons, the males are twice the size of females. But even the chimpanzees, the males are much larger than the females. They are larger and they are dominant. Uh, In in a chimpanzee society, every healthy adult male is dominant over the females. Mm. Uh, But the females are not without power in that society. And and rape is really um, a very unusual, very rare behavior in chimpanzee society. So it's not something that we should think, because people sometimes think that, is that uh, rape comes from our primate ancestry. Uh, I think it's more peculiar to human society and the way we have set up the society. In most mammals, don't males strive for status or territory, whereas females uh, are most concerned about defending their young? Um, That is to some degree true, but uh, females are also very hierarchical. So we, we often assume that males are more hierarchical than females, but, you know, the word pecking order comes from hens, not from roosters. And in all animals where females live together, they form a rank order. And at the top of the rank order is an alpha female. And the alpha female can be very important. And how is that determined? Is it just somebody, one female just asserts herself? Or does everybody recognize from the start that she's going to be an alpha female? Yeah, that's so interesting. In the females, it's more based on age and personality. And, and I don't know how they determine this, but um, it's not necessarily based on physical qualities. Like in the males, in the males, if you if you're old or you're injured, um, you cannot be alpha male anymore. They they will kick you out of that position. But in females, for example, Mama, the chimpanzee who was an alpha female for forty years, she was still the alpha female when she could barely walk anymore. And, and was mostly blind, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was still the most respected female in the group. And so f- for females, age is actually an advantage. Uh, for males, I don't think if they get older, that's not an advantage for them. You look to other species like mice, tortoises, marmosets, and whales for evidence of, of whether the behavior of men and women differs naturally or is culturally determined. Yeah. yeah the whales are interesting because of the the grandmother hypothesis that we have about human menopause. So the grandmother hypothesis says that humans have menopause, women have menopause, because then as grandmothers, they can devote their attention to their grandchildren, which is an advantage for society and for these children. Uh, And we have always assumed that that's unique to humans, the menopause, but now we know that in whales, it also occurs. And that in whales also, for example, in orcas, that the older females, they don't reproduce anymore. So they have gone through some cessation of uh, fertility. They don't reproduce anymore, but they uh, help 
help their daughters to raise their young. So, so I think th those are interesting comparisons and, and we should not just limit the comparison to other primates, even though my, my book focuses very much on the other primates. Does political power need to be distinguished from physical dominance? Yeah, I think physical dominance is not the whole story. So females can also exert political power. Yeah, females can have an enormous amount of political power. I'm uh, talking about example. in another species. Obviously, uh, only <laughs> recently, unfortunately, in humans, so it's been only in the last couple hundred years that women have been given that right in most societies. Yeah. You know, uh, if, if you walk into a business and you want to meet the boss of the business, you don't automatically walk up to the biggest fellow who's, who's around and, and think that he must be the boss. Uh, and so in human society, we are very used that, yes, you have physical dominance, uh, physical fitness, but you have many other characteristics. And, and maybe the boss of the business you walk into is, is a woman or it's a, an older man, who knows? Uh, and the same is true if you go into a primate society. You, you may look at the chimpanzee society and the smallest male is the alpha male. Now, how did that happen? That happens because he has connections. He has supporters. He has a buddy who helps him or he has certain females who help him getting to that position. And so in also in the other primates, you have to distinguish physical dominance from power. Some individuals, um, it, it overlaps. The, the biggest one is the most powerful one, but that's not always the case. And, and so that view of, of primate society, we should abandon. And that also means that females sometimes have a lot of power. So for example, in the bonobos, of course, the alpha individual is a female who's dominant over everybody, including the males, but also in societies with, um, with male dominance, you may find females who have a lot to say about everything. But we base so many of our assumptions about human behavior on chimpanzees. Uh, you reject the idea that boys and girls play differently because of how they're raised and point out that young chimpanzees exhibit similar differences. The males tend to roughhouse, while females often pretend to carry infants. Yeah. yeah. In, in the play behavior, we see a, a very big sex difference, which is, which is universal in the human species, found everywhere, and which is universal in the primates, which is that young females love to put their hands on babies. They are very fascinated by infants. As soon as a female arrives with a newborn, there's gonna be a lot of young females who hang around her. Young males are not particularly interested in that. If you give uh, dolls to them, to chimpanzees or bonobos, uh, you give them dolls in captivity, the females will carry them around and hold them against them, hold them against their nipple, for example. And they will act as if they are mothers. The males, well, you better give not dolls to males because they usually take them apart. Hmm. Um, the males fight over them and things like that. And so, and so the, the females are very interested in that. And in the wild, we know that female chimpanzees uh, may pick up rocks or wooden logs and carry them around as if they have a baby. So they, mm. they make their own dolls in the wild. Now, what the males do in the meantime is roughhousing. They, they love to, which is called rough and tumble play. It's universal in human uh, children that boys do more of that than girls. Uh, in all the primates that I know, the males are very into um, that kind of play. So mock fighting is what they like to do, and uh, it's very different interest. So, so in the play behavior, we see an enormous difference, which has to do with adult life. It's a preparation basically for adult life, I think, uh, the play behavior of the young. But you have a photo in, in your book that shows an adolescent bonobo male grooming an adult female. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's a, so the lines are not crossed. There are not necessarily bad relationships between males and females. There's a lot of uh, attention and, and uh, affection between them. And uh, that male may be grooming that female, not so much in order to have sex or something like with her, but just because he's, he's uh, attached to her. You're listening to Let It Locate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. If I were a boy, even 
just for a day I'd roll out of bed in the morning And throw on what I wanted and go Drink beer with the guys And chase after girls I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Franz Zaval. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book, the one we're discussing, Different Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist. To do that, just go online to give to WBAI.org. That's give and then the number two, WBAI.org, or call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. During today, do it during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. But don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And we thank all of you who do that uh, very much. And now I'm returning to my guest, Franz Zaval. He's a retired Emory University professor, author of a number of books. Um, uh, you also were housebound for 18 months during the pandemic. Did, yeah. did you did you work on this book while that happened? Yeah, you know, I was locked up, uh, and um, all I could do is either be in the house or walk into Stone Mountain Park here in Georgia, which is a beautiful park, which gave me a lot to think about my book and then write it up later. So, yeah, I wrote it during that period, um, a very strange period, you know. You write that, I'm quoting, the saddest day in my career began with a phone call telling me that my favorite male chimpanzee had been butchered by two rivals. Why had Lewitt become your favorite? Oh, he was uh, he was such a wonderful alpha male. So uh, I just explained that alpha males get a bad rap and people say that alpha males terrorize everybody. But Lewitt was the one who was killed was the one who brought peace to the group. He, he really held the whole group together and he was a very responsible leader who stepped in. As soon as there was a fight, he would step in and stop the whole thing. And as a result, he became extremely popular. And, and so I loved him for that reason uh, because he was such a friendly character. He was in a zoo, uh, right? Was at a, at a big zoo colony, the biggest zoo colony in the world, basically, on a large island. And uh, the other two males who killed him, they had lost their position to him. They, they had a coalition. They were in power for a long time. And then all of a sudden, their coalition fell apart, which happens also in chimpanzees. They got into a fight, those two males. They make and break and, alliances, you say, and then between yeah, each other. They broke their alliance, and all of a sudden, Light uh, was the alpha male again. Uh, and so um, they were extremely frustrated by that, and that's how the killing happened, I think. And and chimpanzees plot attacks. Just yeah, we have a lot of evidence nowadays from experiments with with primates that they can think ahead. So uh, people do these experiments usually with tools. They give them tools that they cannot immediately use, but they can only use the next day, for example. Uh, and, and so we have all sorts of evidence also from the field that the primates can think ahead. They can make plans for the future. Not Maybe not the distant future, but certainly the immediate future. And, and I think that's what happened in this particular political case too, is that these two males, they, they killed the other male in the night quarters when, when the rest of the group was not present. Because if the rest of the group had been present, Mama, the alpha female, would have stepped in and would have stopped the whole thing. I'm, I'm convinced of that because I've, I've seen her do that kind of stuff. So the females can't keep the males from politicking, but they do draw the line at bloodshed. Yeah, so the females will step in. And of course, in the in the wild, this is often not possible because the females live spread out over the forest. And as a result, the females have less power in, in the wild than they do in captivity where they're all together. And, and so it mimics in a way the, the bonobo situation where the females have collective power. Uh, but bonobos go much further than the chimp. The, in the bonobos, the females take over, basically. Is it the same whether uh, it's in a zoo or in the wild? Because in the wild, they're, they're in much more closed quarters, aren't they? Would that add to tensions? Yeah, I think the situation in a zoo is different. It's still highly relevant to the human species if you want to make these comparisons, because 
we live, you know, you live in New York, which is a sort of captive environment, I would say. We, we step into these metal boxes that we drive around. So, so the human current environment, especially the urban environment, has a lot in common with primates in captivity, I would say. And so, and so I think these comparisons need to include, of course, wild animals. I, I, I don't want to dismiss what happens in the field, obviously, but um, kept, captive settings, especially if they are well well done, um, are still relevant for the comparisons, I think. Are male chimps ever aggressive against females? Yeah, that's a quite common thing, is that they, especially uh, fertile females, because they they gather around the female and they become highly competitive with each other, the males, and, and this spills over sometimes in violence against the female. And they may also try to intimidate the female. As I said before, they, they don't rape the female. That's not a typical behavior. But intimidation and, and uh, violence is, is common in that period. And, you know, female chimps, they are rarely in that situation because most of the time they are uh, either pregnant or nursing. So, so they have an interbirth interval of six years usually. So, so they're very slowly reproducing um, because their, their offspring takes so much attention. And so it's only once every five or six years that they are fertile. And that's the period where they run into trouble some Swiss males. Yeah. Well, there's a view of our fellow primates that sometimes used to defend inequalities in human society where a male monkey boss owns the females who spend their lives making babies and following his orders. Wasn't the chief inspiration for that view a baboon study from over a century ago? Yeah, that's, it's very unfortunate. Is that And it lasted was... all these years? Yeah, that's unfortunate. There was a study 100 years ago on baboons uh, in, in a zoo in, in the UK, which inspired all these stories about male bosses and, and females being their slaves and, and males being violent with each other over the females. And this was popularized everywhere. And so when you now hear people say the natural order is males dominate the females and that's all there is to it, that's still based on that very old story and not based on modern studies of primates where we know that uh, things are much more complex. So, so when primatology included more women, uh, in, initially, when I was young, for example, the big stars in primatology were all men. But now we have, I think we have more women in the field than, than men. And when women entered primatology and started to study baboons and other species and monkeys and apes and so on, and one of the most famous ones is, of, of course, Jane Goodall, who studied chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. And so when women entered the field, they started to pay attention to female affairs, like how do you raise your young? What is your hierarchy? What is the influence on social processes? Uh, we, we got the term female choice. The females have preferences for certain males. So it's not just the males who decide who mates with whom. It's the females also who decide who mates with whom. And so when women entered the field, I think a lot changed. And, and we got a more equal attention to, to male and female behavior. And, and that has changed a lot of the perspective in our field. Still, as recently as 20 years ago, in a book entitled King of the Mountain, an American psychiatrist named Arnold Ludwig wrote, most humans have been socially, psychologically, and biologically programmed with the need for a single dominant male figure to, go to govern their communal lives. And this program corresponds closely to how almost all anthropoid primate societies are run. So this is an idea that it won't die. No, no, I think uh, many men love that idea. <laughs> Uh, and have always defended the idea that, that males are naturally dominant. Uh, and of course, the biggest defense came from the idea that men are also smarter than women. That's the traditional story for centuries, that men are more intelligent than women, and so it's logical for them to be the boss of the society. Uh, the interesting thing is, of course, now that boys and girls have identical education, identical schooling, um, these intelligence differences that were often assumed have completely evaporated. They're wow. sort of gone. And I have worked all my life on the behavior and the intelligence of animals and mostly primates. 
And in our field, we, we don't really recognize sex differences. I don't think... I don't think I know any major sex differences in cognition in the primates or in other animals. And so that whole story of male intelligence and male intellect uh, is falling apart. Well, it was apparent to me in school where uh, I did a lot worse in math than many of the girls in my class, for example. Uh, In fact, they often got higher marks for good reason. They were better students. Um, mm-hmm. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large is Franzival, whose latest book is Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist. It is published by W.W. W. Norton. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Well, some of the, the, the uh, most intelligent men of the past um, – believe these things. Arthur Schopenhauer wrote in the 19th century that all their lives, women remain children who live in the present while men have the ability to think ahead. And and another German philosopher, George Willem Friedrich Hegel, thought that men correspond to animals while women correspond to plants. Yeah. Don't. Ooh. I have no idea what he meant by that. It's certainly, it's it's not a compliment. Let's say it that no. way. But, uh, but fact, I don't know what he what he was meaning it's there. Not a know? compliment to Hegel that he could even think something so stupid. I mean, he yeah. was considered one of the great philosophers of his time. Yeah. So uh, you know, th- that was an accepted position, and and many philosophers, even though they don't agree on anything, usually philosophers on this point. All these men agreed with each other. And uh, I don't waste a lot of time in my book on, on that kind of ideas because I think the, the, the hypothesis that the intellect of males is different from females is really not supported. So I'm, I didn't waste much time on it. Uh, but um, that's the traditional defense, of course, of the inequality in society. And even Charles Darwin, uh, he once wrote a letter to Caroline Kennard, an American women's rights advocate, in which he wrote, there seems to me to be a great difficulty from the law of inheritance in their becoming the intellectual equals of man. That's Charles Darwin. Yeah, so Darwin didn't escape that kind of thinking either, you know. I think it was extremely common at the time. And it's all just changed in, in the last few years? Yeah, I think since World War II, uh, things have changed in that regard. In the West, we, we don't think that anymore. But, you know, we have still a lot of um, leftovers, let's say, of, of that kind of thinking. So, so we still have uh, people who feel that men are going to be better leaders than women, for example. Even though if you look at the COVID crisis and, and if you look at um, the leaders of nations, which were women leaders or man leaders, uh, I'm not sure you can conclude that the men did better than the women in this particular crisis. So, so that's an interesting comparison to make, you know. Well, the United States has never had a, a woman as president. But then again, neither has Russia. I don't think Ukraine mm. ever has. I mean, we can go on and on. Most countries haven't. The, the rarities are England and, and Germany. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. and right now... The, the the scary candidate in France is a woman. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have had women leaders, and and in the recent years, the the most important one was, of course, Angela Merkel in Germany. Uh, so, so we have had them, and and during the the COVID crisis, I think the women did at least as well, maybe better than the men. Uh, in other situations, maybe when a nation is at war, uh, but you know, uh, I'm I'm not sure that the men are doing such a great job preventing warfare. Mm. Well. Uh... Haven't humans undergone some big changes since our lineage split from chimpanzees and bonobos? Our ancestors started walking upright, lost much of their hair, evolved big brains, began speaking in complex languages, and and we don't have tails. So mm-hmm. should we even be thinking about ourselves in, in the context of our primate uh, the, the neighbors? Yeah, the the point about no tails is is an important one because our close relatives, chimpanzees and bonobos and the other apes have no tails. We are basically apes because we are large primates without tails and large brains also. That's 
that, that goes together. And so we, we are closely related to the apes. We're not particularly close to the monkeys, which is a, a different category of primates. So that's something to keep in mind. Yes, and we changed a lot. I think the bipedal walking is, is sort of interesting, but I think the biggest change is the nuclear family. So we evolved societies in which males got involved in um, offspring care and protecting the family and, and providing for the family. And, and that's also why paternal tendencies, I think, are highly developed in our species because we, we evolved in that direction. And it continues into grandparents. Yeah, the, uh, clearly um, the, the grandmother hypothesis focuses on the females and why, why women have menopause and, and, and become grandmothers who, who protect uh, their grandchildren and so on. But, but of course, grandfathers are also involved in care. Yeah. Now, you've also included some details from your own life in this book. Your childhood in a family of six boys? Yeah. I think part of my curiosity about gender came from that sort of background, is that I grew up in a, in a family of mostly men. And uh, I went to boys' schools. I didn't, I didn't see many girls when I was younger. It's only when I, I went to college that I uh, met more girls. And so uh, for me, that's part of my curiosity. I think women were a sort of mystery to me. Um, and also when I was a student, uh, a college student, I joined a feminist uh, movement at the time, uh, even though I stayed only one year because they became increasingly hostile to men and <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to take that. But um, Turnabout is fair play sometimes. Yeah, they um, they felt men were the source of all problems in the world. And, and maybe that's true, but that's not something I needed to hear every day. So anyway, um, but it shows that I was interested in the topic. And, and I'm certainly uh, uh, in favor of equality between men and women, absolutely. And so in that sense, uh, I was on board with their agenda. In fact, you declare yourself a feminist at the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. But you mm -hmm. also talk about your marriage to a French woman who had a different orientation toward gender. In what way? Yeah, I think uh, all, all countries are a little bit different in how they orient to gender. So, so for example, the Dutch are very liberal. And, and, and so, for example, we, we were the first in Holland to have uh, gay marriage. Uh, and actually, uh, same-sex love has been legal in the Netherlands for more than two centuries. So, so I was very surprised when I came to the U.S. and, and, and noticed that it was not legal. Hmm. So, um, and the French, the French have always emphasized support for mothers. So, so they have daycare centers, free daycare centers, creches. They, they, there's an enormous amount of support for uh, women and, and the family. And, uh, and that's different from other nations. I think the French were ahead in that. The U.S. Is, was behind, in my opinion, as far as um, uh, sexual morality is concerned. But the U.S. was ahead and is still ahead, I think, in education, equal education for uh, boys and girls. And uh, the Me Too movement comes out of the U.S., which is a movement against uh, sexual harassment by men. So, so in some ways, the U.S. is also ahead. And so each country has a different mix of things. Uh, and a different way of looking at uh, the gender problem. But you also write about many years of academic turf wars because not all of your colleagues agreed with where your thinking was going? Yeah, I think if you look at academia, there's, there's very strange disagreements that you get. So, for example, in psychology, there is and I've, I've been a professor in psychology for 25 years, in psychology, they always emphasize female friendships and, and female support and female sisterhood. And that's very much emphasized in psychology, even though I think females are also competitive and they're not, not always nice to each other. And, and I would not diminish male friendships, um, but they, they downplay them as if that's not really important. I think male friendships are just as important as female friendships. And then you go to anthropology. The anthropologists 
they always emphasize male friendships and male bonding and the, the brotherhood and, and the male rit- initiation rituals and so on. So, so the anthropologists, they are all over the male relationships uh, at the exclusion of what, uh, what women do and, and female friendships. So, so yeah, in academia, there are very strange um, orientations towards the gender problem. And, and sometimes you cannot even mention it because it creates so much controversy. You, you cannot really talk about it. If, if you say, for example, that boys and girls are different and behave differently, you know, some people get very upset about that. Well, it uh, also, if you believe that men are the superior intellectually, that justifies men dominating uh, the, the top spots in, in most departments in universities. Yeah, although that's changing, I would say, um, certainly in a field like psychology or anthropology, I think that uh, has changed dramatically. It's not, it's not a, a, a purely male world anymore. I want to thank you so much for being on our show. I'm sorry we couldn't get to more of the things that you include in your book, but, uh, well, that's why books are sold. Uh, Frank all. <laughs> is the author of other books, including Mama's Last Hug and Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are? Uh, he uh, is, uh, he, the book that we've been discussing is different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist, and it is published by W.W. W. Norton. Thank you so much for being on our show today. You're welcome. You're welcome. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our nearly 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed 1 million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else that you get your podcasts. And if you would like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. We're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now. That's 212-209-2950 or give and then the number 2 WBAI.org. We need your help to keep bringing you this unique, in-depth content, information you don't usually get anywhere else. And as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large right now can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing, Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist by Franz Duval. So why not make that call right now at 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org. You might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, and we'll say thank you with a BAI tote bag to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $15 a month or more. Either way, I hope that you'll call right now because WBAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopate at Large, why not let us know that you appreciate what we do on this show by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to play a part in keeping this historic station, the only one on the New York Radio Dial that's 100% listener-sponsored, alive and thriving with your tax-deductible support. And we hope you can join us again tomorrow when my guest will be Richard Cohn discussing his new book, Making History, the Storytellers Who Shaped the Past. We'll see you then.